Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am very excited tonight as we have the filmmaker, producer, and director. Catherine Brayback of the award-winning documentary film, A Life Outside, joining us in a moment. Just want to do an introduction to my show, as I always do, and then I'm going to do an introduction for her, and then I'll bring her on the air. So she is one of the many talented guests that I've had the honor and pleasure of interviewing. Uh, For those who are familiar with my show, I interview everyone from filmmakers, comedians, musicians, and other people in the entertainment industry started the show approximately three years ago because I really wanted to create a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to support them and help them spread the word to get their name out there. A little bit about myself, I have a background in clinical psychology, that's what my doctorate degree is in, and I also have a passion for the entertainment industry. I'm a solo artist slash musician. I do some writing for some entertainment magazines where I combine um, psychological concepts, and um, things like that to help people promote and market themselves, and then I started this radio show. And personally, I know how challenging and difficult it can be when you are doing everything independently and on your own. So I thought, what a better thing to do, combine my passion for interviewing people with my psychology background, and then bring the uh, entertainment side into play too. So on my show, you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. A couple of things I just kindly request people keep in mind is although I mentioned I'm a clinical psychologist, my show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. Uh, we're not going to be doing any formal therapy, but I do have a great sense of humor, so sometimes we do throw around some psychological terms in more of an educational uh, forum. And I do want my guests to feel uh, open to discuss whatever they'd like, but if it's potentially going to be, I don't think it will be with Catherine, but in the past, you know, musicians often like to share some really uh, entertaining, humiliating, embarrassing stories, so to speak, and you can do that. Just keep any identifying information anonymous because we don't want to personally humiliate or embarrass anyone. So if you're tuning in to the radio show right now, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to Blog Talk Radio. You can also call in if you'd like at 805-243-1320. I do have a chat room open, so if anyone wants to post questions, I will try to go back and forth, but I am a one-person show, so I'm really going to be focused and honed in on the interview with Catherine tonight. So let me give you a little bit of background on her and the film tonight, and then we're going to bring her on the air. So Catherine Brabeck is an experienced director, producer, and editor. Her award-winning commercials, um, sorry, her award-winning work in commercials, art, fashion, nationally broadcast television, PBS, and HBO have earned worldwide critical acclaim. She's edited and directed numerous broadcast specials, including shows for HBO, MTV, The Family Channel, and HBO. And in addition to that, she also, uh, for art and fashion clients, she's directed them major national commercials for Revlon, CoverGirl, and L'Oreal, as well as directed videos for Donna Karen, Calvin Klein, and Anne Sui. Uh, recently, she wrote, directed, edited, and produced her debut award-winning documentary film, which is titled A Life Outside. And this really is, I'm telling everyone, you have to check it out. I posted the link for the um trailer in the chat room. We'll talk a lot a bit about that tonight. So if you're tuning in now, you can get a nice visual on what this film is about. It's a documentary that is a story of the relationship of six New Jersey surfers, Greg Masenko, Chris Masenko, Kevin Casey, Jim Turpery, 
Richard Lutheringer and Bucky Walters, who got on a surfboard for the first time close to 50 years ago, and they haven't stopped their pursuit of surf to this day. Featured in the film are also legendary surfers who inspired them to surf, which include Jerry Lopez, Sean Thompson, Corky Carroll, Mike Doyle, Nikki Munez, and David Nua. And I hope I didn't mispronounce his name, so I apologize if I did. Um, this extraordinary documentary really captures the close-knit ties and relationships of the six New Jersey surfers who dedi- whose dedication to the sport illustrated their unrelenting passion for it. And again, I personally have a big connection to this film because uh, Greg Masenko and his surf shop Grogs um, is really what put New Jersey on the map for surfing, especially when it came to the hot spot, so to speak, for the casino pier and the break there. Um, I worked for Greg back in the day. I was um, the only girl surfer on the surf team. So, as I said, this this film really has a, a close place to my heart, too. So everyone has got to check it out, and let's bring Catherine on so we can talk all about her background and the film. Hey, Catherine, how are you? Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Good. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. So it's a pleasure to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to talking about your background and uh, the film that you just uh, put out there that is just doing so wonderfully. And as I mentioned, it's just an amazing film that you shot and uh, the story that you brought to fruition for everyone to see. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I just want to say I really love what you're doing with your show. It's um, it's a really wonderful forum to be able to have, you know, people like me um, talk about what we do. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. The feeling is uh, definitely mutual. So, um, so, yeah, let's start out a little bit about talking about just kind of your background growing up. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself as a kid. Where did you grow up? And we'll start to slowly progress forward. Okay. So um, I was born on the East Coast. I was actually born in Rhode Island, uh, but my dad was in the Navy. My dad was a pilot, and so I am what you call a Navy brat. I I moved all the time, and in fact, by the time I was one year old, I had lived in six different states. Things kind of calmed down after that. We moved up like every two years, and I lived everywhere from Hawaii to um, East Coast to West Coast, uh, Florida, Virginia, you know, just kind of bopped all over the place. So it was kind of a, a wow. crazy growing up. Not, right, right. How, up. how real quick, um, and just, just to kind of comment a little bit, were you constantly changing schools, I'm assuming, since you were, like you said, moving every two years? Yes. every. In fact, I went to three first grades. When I was in kindergarten and first grade, I lived in Hawaii, and um, we got stationed back into, into Rhode Island during that year, and I actually had, ended up in three different first grades. I was in Hawaii, then we had a little layover in Minnesota in the middle of winter, and then onto Rhode Island. So kind of a, you know, you've learned to adapt very quickly, you know, or not. <laughs> Definitely. Was it was it challenging for you as a kid? I mean, being that young and, you know, how kids grow up and they have their friends and, you know, how was that for you? Yeah, you know, I actually I actually remember being very excited with every move we made. I, I remember that, nice. that the day we would you would wait for your they, your dad would get his orders for the military, which would tell you where your next location would go. And there, there was a set time you knew the orders were coming, and it was an exciting time. Like, where are we going to be? Where are we going to go? I was always really excited. It isn't to say that I didn't have some sad goodbyes to, to friends because um, you made. Friends, hard and fast. When you're when you're when you're a nomadic kind of person, you kind of log right. in quickly and have pretty deep friendships. And then it's it's very hard to let them go. 
And when you're really young like that, um, it's hard to keep the connections. I mean, I, I really don't know anyone from those early years. The, the, the We never, you know, we were too young to really learn how to stay in touch, and that was before the days sure. of email and stuff like that. So um, so that was sad, and, and I, I do see in people that I know today that have grown up in one place, and I see that they've got long-term friends. I, I, I missed out on that, but... Um, but other than that, I, I I was always excited to go to new places. That's true. And, you know, it's really interesting you say that because we'll, we'll progress to talk more about this later, but I think an interesting, you know, connection that we'll see throughout the interview is, is that adventurous side of you. And that's pretty cool to hear at an early age you were able, whether it was your parents or maybe just more intrinsic inside yourself, able to really get yourself excited about new opportunities and exploring new things. And I think that's, you know, especially with you getting involved in surfing only a handful of years ago, I think it's a neat kind of connection to see that theme. So to speak. Yeah, it's a, I don't know where it came from. I mean, I think it, was, it just was my life. I didn't have, really have a choice, you know, as far as the moving right. around. But um, I, to this day, I, I live in New York City and I love it. It's my home. But I travel a lot because of my work, and um, I, I I love moving around all the time. I really, really it's sort of a, a it's sort of a nece- necessary part of me of who I am. Definitely, definitely. So, how long have you lived in New York now? I've been in New York for quite a while, over well over twenty years now. So okay, it's home. Okay, yeah, that's definitely home for you. I think, but evidently, I think because of, oh, sorry, I was just saying, I think um, what. New York was for me when I first got there. It was it's so constantly changing that even though you're in one place in one city, you know every day is different. It, it sort of it, it fuels my need for for change and lack of routine and and all that kind of stuff. So it 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 suits me very well. Nice, definitely. So talk a little bit about so you're you're moving around a lot as a kid, like you said, you're going to different schools, and it's kind of hard to sometimes get yourself you know, in a solid place, What did you? when did you start to get interested kind of in the arts, so to speak, and start to talk a little bit about, you know, what led you to your interest in film? Um, well, I'll try to give you the short story because it could go on for a little <laughs> while. But when I was in, like, That's my okay. high school years, I, 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 I moved, we moved to California, and I really loved California, but I think it was probably those awkward teen years where it's really a hard time to move into a new a new school, you know, there's such cliques and, you know, those are kind of tough years. I was, I was kind of on the outside of things and um, it wasn't like it was an unhappy time or anything, but I, I do recall it wasn't the, mo- the easiest time and I was very rebellious in the in the school systems and and all that. So I found myself kind and how of... how old um, were you, not to interrupt, how old were you at this time when you're talking about this time period? I would say when I I would say eighth ninth grade you know that's okay. when I moved to California mm-hmm. and so it was eighth grade so it was juniors junior high and then you move into a big huge high school and and uh, and I I start, had started to play the piano then I started to study classical piano when I was in the seventh grade and um, it it just took hold of me I just I loved it I I didn't want to do anything else I wanted to just practice you know eight ten hours a day and I really did. I got really, wow. for starting kind of late in the classical world, I, I kind of caught up because I really um, poured myself into it and spent a lot of time every day. 
And um, that was what I thought I was going to do. I mean, music just took hold of me, and, and I, I really feel like it sort of saved me in many ways from from some of the loneliness of kind of being on the outside of the, the social cliques and things like that. It just it just it became my life. It was it was the most important mm-hmm. thing to me. Um, I thought I was going to be a classical pianist. That was my goal. That was my dream. I, I, I imagined myself on the stage at Carnegie Hall, of course. You know, um, I wow. had a little bit of a setback when I realized that I really had a hard time performing. I I would do competitions. I would do very well, but I they were, they were kind of painful to go through. I suffered from that uh, that performing anxiety, whatever it may have a name. I don't know what it's called. Right. But, um, yeah, performance anxiety, sure. Yeah, I had it really, really bad. So um, my my dreams sort of had to take a shift. Um, and but but I was hooked. I was hooked in music. I, I started writing music and, and recording and and just getting into the technology a little bit and of how, the electronics and things. Yeah. And how did you get interested in music? Because like you said, it's not that it's that late in life. I mean, you know, eighth, ninth grade, you're still really young. But what was it that you know? kind of drove you in that direction? Was it something that you watched? Did you have a family member or someone specific inspire you? No, you know, my parents were just for some reason, I don't know why, but they, they decided to get a piano so that we would oh. all be, you know, I have, I have two brothers and two sisters. And so we would have okay. the instrument in the house and they, w- they would be happy to get us into piano lessons, which several, I, I remember, I think just both my sisters also started taking lessons. And they got bored really quickly, but I, there Great. was something that just, um, the minute you, you get good enough to start playing even one of those really, really simple songs, I think it was a, a very simple uh, Bach song that, a minuet in G major or mm-hmm. something that everybody learns right away, and you start to make music, and you feel like, oh my God, I'm making music. It was just, it was, it just took me. And I knew gotcha. that you had to get really good, and you had to, you had to work hard to get better, to get to get to the, the the better music, you know. So, um, so I just poured myself into it. And to this cool. day, music is very important. And music music is so important in filmmaking and in mm-hmm. the editing process. Um, that even though I'm not a performer or actively playing uh, the piano anymore, it, I, I I feel like it gave me a, a major foundation for a lot of things, for rhythm and timing and structure and all these kinds of things. Definitely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you said you were getting into, you know, you had the performance anxiety, so you started to talk a little bit about how you were more interested in, you know, writing and recording. Um, did you have a natural talent for writing music? I don't think so. I, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm really good at um, editing music, and I, and I, I like okay. a lot of different kinds of music. But um, I wrote a few simple things. I don't think I ever, I don't, maybe my standard was too high as far as, you know, when you're when you're playing Chopin and Bach and all that, I I wasn't one of those guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I really got right. into playing popular music. For some reason, it was really it was really strange. I thought, you know, four four time in Beethoven is so different than four four time in when you're playing the Beatles. It just wasn't it wasn't something I ever really got into the, the popular music. But I I did start playing with um, recording and. Uh, playing with almost like music collages in a way. I would make these music tapes. I guess the way you would play on the radio or, or something like combining mm-hmm. different pieces of music to create shows. I was like, I love that. It, it, it didn't, there was nowhere to go with that, but um, I, I, I had some uh, 
some machines at my hand and I was able to play around with that, which made me feel like I wanted to get into media a little bit. You know, it was like, it's, it's sort of a funny road I took, but um, bring the door to, to like, oh, maybe I should go work in radio, or oh, maybe I should go work in TV, that kind of thing. That's cool. That's really cool. What did your like? What did your family think of you? Your parents, especially when you were, you know, initially wanting to go into classical music, and then, like you said, you're starting to more kind of dabble a little bit in more of the production end of it. Were they supportive what you pursue in this career, or did they want you to? You know, it's hard when you get into the arts, as I'm sure you'll talk a little bit about. Um, what was their perception? Well, you know what? I think that, well, I remember, my dad is no longer alive, unfortunately. I miss him a lot. Um, but I remember right. him sitting and listening to me play and practice, and I think he was really proud of that. And um, he did have nice. some musical leanings. He played violin when he was really young, and I think that watching me practice and play maybe rekindled that for him, or he, he just appreciated that. But as far as going on from there, I, because I really, my, my path into where I am right now was so... Um, uncharted waters. I had no idea. I, I was so unplanned, and I didn't really have anybody to that was mentoring me or anything like that. I was just mm-hmm. going for it, you know. So I don't think they, they certainly never not supported me, but it wasn't like they ever knew exactly what I was doing, you know. <laughs> right, you know, they just, right. Uh, I think they thought I was just, uh, I was, I'm a seeker, you know, and, and I was out seeking my way, and, and they always supported that for sure. Nice. So as you start to, that's a good way to describe it, as you're kind of seeking your way and trying to find your path, so to speak, talk a little bit about how, like you said, you're getting into kind of some, a little bit of dabbling with production, putting music together, and your interest in kind of editing. Talk a little bit about how that starts to transition into into film and, and why, you know, why film starts to get your attention. Well, so at... Um, or actually, uh, commercials. You, know, you could talk about your commercial, yeah, so, you know, your, your major background with that. I moved to New York, um, as I said, quite a while ago, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but of course I needed to work and and all that. And I, I remember seeing an ad in one of the local, one of the entertainment trade papers, um, and it said, if you're interested in long hours and low pay, you know, come work for us. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a really small uh, commercial production company. And I didn't even have a resume. I didn't have a. I just. I, I wrote a handwritten note out of a, a out of a like a paper fold, you know, paper notebook. Tore it out okay. and sent it in. And oh um, I ended up. I ended up getting the job. And they, and they laughed after they hired me because they showed me the file folder of resumes that they got, which were it was huge. I mean, they had like inches thick of, of beautiful typed resumes, and I was the only one that right. was sort of this ragged handwritten paper. And they said, we've got to meet this girl who, who dares send something like this in. And I wasn't consciously trying to be different. I just thought, I thought oh, this sounds interesting. Let me, but, I, but I didn't have any other paper, so I just uh, wrote a note right, and sent it right. in. <laughs> and so Very I started, that was my first job in production. And they did all sorts of um, retail, you know, like low-budget commercials. We did some um, commercials for Time Magazine, I think was one of the biggest clients. But um, I literally was the lowest person on the pole, and, and I swept the studio floor and and just pitched in with whatever I could do and learned really, really quickly. Um, I just got it really quickly, and um, and I absolutely loved it. I just loved being in the studio. I loved being in the edit room. I loved just everything about it. So that That's was my great. that That's was my great. first real job, yeah. And I made ninety, I think it was like ninety nine dollars a week. <laughs> I do not know how I did. lived in New York. <laughs> wow! And like you said, you were basically residing in the studio. That's where you were kind of living. So did they let you stay there for free? 
No, no, no. I didn't live in the studio, but we did a lot oh, of okay. studio production. Oh, okay. I thought you were in there. Okay. But, yeah, no, you know, I, I just meant being there, you know, in working-wise. But um, I had a girlfriend, and we shared a really funky loft down in Soho. It was great. It was fantastic. I just don't know how That's I great. afforded it, but <laughs> it was fun. When you, were doing, when you were doing that job, were you doing any other side jobs, like waitressing or anything like that to help support um, or you? I actually, I was, when the... I first got... Yeah, when I first got to New York, I was waitressing, and um, because that pay was so low, I thought, okay, I'll just, you know, I'll waitress a little bit to to make it all work, but production hours are so um, unpredictable, and usually shoot days are very long days, so it became very clear to me right away that there was no way I could do both, so somehow I just, you know, barely ate or something, I don't know, (laughs) made it all work. Definitely. So I learned a lot. So, I learned quickly, and I moved on fairly quickly. And that wasn't a long period of time. I, um, I actually started a production company pretty quickly after that. I met someone who was a, a cinematographer, and, and we created a small company that, um, you know, we pulled in little little jobs and, and learned how to get business and learned how to get clients and things like that. So it was, it was, we worked hard. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I can't, I, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, just like you said, really kind of just working from the ground up, so to speak. Um, yeah, how did you? Yeah. And, and you can just talk a little bit about, because I mean, I definitely want to, you know, hone in on your your background because you've done so many great things with like PBS, HBO, ABC. You know, working for major fashion clients. Tell us how you got involved in that. Was that when you started to build your production company, as you were talking about? Yeah, so the, the, that production company, um, we we actually started doing some music videos, and um, from there the uh, the show the show for HBO that I did the one hour um, documentary special. It was a long time ago now, but it was a really great show, and it kind of got us a lot of attention. Um, and, and the music videos too got us a lot of attention. We did videos for uh, Carly Simon and Donna Summer, and um, the HBO show was a music show featuring James Brown and Stevie Winwood. It was, it was a show about wow. rock and roll stars who had died, but we filmed all the great, many great living um, artists who had known those people. Chuck Berry, I got to interview. So um, that was a pretty big deal for us. It kind of really changed. I mean, it just got us farther in the door. Part of the film business is just moving yourself more and more into bigger things, bigger budgets, people that know you, mm-hmm. getting a reputation, that kind of thing. So that that really helped with that. I started also working at CBS um, in New York, uh, editing news. So I started getting, really honing my skills as an editor, which has been a really major sort of foundation for me as a filmmaker. Um, so I, I had my fingers Very in a cool. lot of different pots. You know, I, I, I started doing a lot of different things. I worked as a, a director with an ad agency for a while and did some pretty big commercials. And so I, I, I have a really kind of well-rounded background from where I learned how the business is constructed in, in many different places. I mean, the ad world is different than the music world, and that's different than the, mm-hmm. the television world. So, um, so I, I, I saw things from a lot of different places. Yeah, it's great, and I think, you know, talking about kind of, like you're saying, the diverse background and the, you know, various areas you got involved in, it probably makes you, you know, much more marketable, too, because you're not kind of, you know, being, you know, one-track-minded, so to speak, or limiting yourself to just, I just want to work with whatever, you know, fashion or, you know what I mean? So I think it's great that you were so open-minded to that and so flexible, so to speak. 
Yeah, it's funny. You you have to kind of fight that because because sometimes it's a little bit easier if you are the fashion director. Mm -hmm. Or there was a a period of time when I was doing a lot of children's commercials and toys and things like that, and people want to peg you as as the toy the, the kid director, you know. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, you don't want to get pegged as in, because you can do, just because you work with children doesn't mean you can't work with, um, you know, fashion and things like that. So you kind of have to fight that so that you don't get pegged. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it helps with that. But it's, and sometimes I think it's a little hard because if you are really super specialized, then people know you for that and they come to you for that. But most of us as artists don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right, right. Wow. So, well, congratulations with all that success with your backgrounds and everything that you've done, you know, with, with editing and directing and, and the arts. I mean, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. So let's start to, you know, progress a little bit, and then we'll take a break in a little bit and uh, play okay. one of the songs from Quirky Carol, which was featured in the, um, the film, and it's an amazing track. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you started to, I think it would be a, a cool kind of transition talk a little bit about you know how did you get an interest in surfing because you started surfing a little later you know in life so to speak in terms yeah, of you didn't start out definitely. like as a kid um and what inspired you and, and yeah kind of what got your interest in the sport well you know it's funny, it's so ironic because i lived in california and i've got um brothers and sisters i have two brothers who are amazing surfers and um one of my sisters oh, really? is a really great surfer and i just that was what it, during my piano days and i just never surfed but i i was certainly was always around it and again my you know my family surfed and sailed and we were always around the water so it wasn't like a, a new thing and we, I, I think surfing is so mainstream now that it's hard to not know about it or hear about it but I just never tried it and there was uh, about five years ago I really I uh, was looking for a vacation and um, I just it just sort of hit me why don't I try surfing you know and I went to Costa Rica and went to a surf camp and um, just did pretty well I mean not that I'm a good surfer at all but I had a really good first time experience right. and and just again, you know, well, you know, you're a surfer. It just takes hold of you. You just, you just, mm-hmm. you just fall in love. Or at least that's what happened with me. So it was just a very innocent kind of, oh, let me try this, have a great vacation, that kind of thing. And um, I was like, whoa, I, I just wanted to do it again and again and get better and better. And, and so that's how it all started. That's great. That's great. What's what's the biggest waves that you've ever surfed in? Oh, well, I mean, that I actually <laughs> rode well. <laughs> or even I, tried, I really hey, even tried. <laughs> you know, I in my first year of surfing, I got really beat up. I mean, I lost my, you know, two front teeth, and I had a no. concussion. And, yeah, I had some really bad oh accidents. Like I got caught inside on some really big waves, and um, um, I'm surprised that I didn't get oh. scared and didn't want to go out. But I... Um, so I, I've gotten on some big waves. There was one wave in Costa Rica that I tried. I didn't really make it, but um, it was one of those great evening surfs, and we're all out, and the guys, the instructors are such cool guys, and they're all out with us. And and this one guy, Pedro, he pushed me into this wave, and and it, when I got onto shore, everybody was clapping. They were like, do you know what you just did? <laughs> I don't know how big it was, but I think it was pretty. It probably was, you know, seven, eight foot or something, which is pretty big for me. Oh, and, my gosh. And uh, I didn't make it, but I didn't get hurt. But they were all very impressed that I even tried. I, I don't even think That's I knew great. what was coming, you know. 
Wow. Yeah, no, I know. I can relate to that. And I, I think from having some, you know, nothing like what you're talking about, but, you know, especially when I was younger, trying to get out there and, yeah, having some big, big falls and being under for a while, it definitely scared yeah. me. And I think because I'm older now and I can realize what can actually happen to you, you know, I'm not this, like, yeah. you know, young kid and that's like, oh, I'm just going to do anything. Um, and New Jersey that, waves are tough. You know, they're, at least I find them hard and, and a little mean sometimes for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I can definitely see how that can uh, curtail you to not want to, you know, go out in huge, huge ways where you really can get hurt. But yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're okay. Give me a nice um, two, three-foot rolling wave and I'm a happy girl. <laughs> me too. Oh, me too. We've got to go out together sometime. Me too. That's my perfect glassy oh, we wave. We two to three foot <laughs> on summer day. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely talk Perfect. at some point off the air. Um, okay. okay, so you get in, you get into surfing, you become really passionate about it, and um, when do you start to get this, you know, this idea to create this documentary? And I think, like I said in the beginning of the show, I think it's a, a really cool documentary because it, the Barrier Island is this place that not everyone knows about, um, but it did get put on the map, as you'll talk about, from, you know, Greg Misenko and Glog Surf Palace and... You know, it, it's right. a really special place for people, you know, who have grown up here and um, have lived it their whole life, so to speak. So talk a little bit about right, how well, you got interested yeah, in it. Yeah, so when you're, what, you know, when you get into surfing and you're on the East Coast, you, you start to learn about where, where you can surf. And, you know, there's a lot of surfing. I mean, there's surfing, as you know, you know, everywhere. There's surfing in Maine. There's surfing in Rhode Island. There's surfing in Long Island. So I started becoming aware of, of other surfers and getting to know other surfers and other surf places. And I just was fortunate enough to meet a couple of the guys that are in the film um, and get to know them. And, and, and they were nice enough to take me out in the water and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, give me a few pointers and things like that. And so I was lucky enough to meet some of them. And then I started to meet the, other, the rest of the group. And um, I actually had a surf trip in, in, down into Mexico in, in Cabo with, with the six of them. And, wow. Um, Got to know them, and I mean, they're such—they're such unusual characters. I mean, they're—they're they're great. <laughs> they're entertaining. They're—they're they're great surfers, and their their passion for surfing is as alive and strong today as it. I mean, I didn't know them back then, but um, I, I, it's so strong today. And I would hear their stories, and and it was just. It was just, I just, I felt like I had to start documenting the stories. They were so unusual, and I thought the guys themselves were so unusual. Got to tell them all the time over the course of filming how abnormal they were. They, I said, you guys just aren't <laughs> normal people in a good way, you know, in a, in a way that I really right, admire and respect. Um, so the idea just started to, to, like, just maybe start capturing some of the stories. The way I'd sit and listen to the stories after um, after surfing all day, I thought, let's let's do this as, as a as a film, but I, I didn't have it as a clear thought of what the film was going to be. I, it was more like, let's okay. just start capturing, capturing stuff. Okay. And so that was really how it started. Very cool. So, simply and, uh, yeah. So where did, so you're capturing some stuff on film and I guess, so to speak, you're, you know, filming them talking and sharing their stories and their experiences and, so when does kind of, you know, your mind start rolling a little bit and saying, oh, you know, I think I think I got something here and this might be interesting to, you know, like you said, um, put into a documentary and, and share their story. Right. Just their amazing experience and, and who they are as people. I mean, and they're phenomenal people. 
Yeah, so I the the first shoot, um, for anyone who does go and see the film, when you see it's sort of a narrative thread throughout the film is, is all the six New Jersey guys sitting around the table and talking. And I call that the round table scenes. And um, that was the very first thing I filmed. And I, I, the idea was just to get them all together, um, get a little bit of Patron on the table and get the juices flowing and sort of getting the stories mm-hmm. coming. And, and that was what I did. It was shot it with three cameras and made it look as really good as I could. And, um, and it was a great shoot. And it went on for hours and hours. And we got a lot. We got the whole story, basically, of their background and, and, and their personalities and things like that. Um, it was after doing that, because that, that was a pretty big shoot. And it cost quite a bit of money. It was definitely like I knew I was going to go somewhere with it. I just wasn't exactly mm-hmm. sure what it was going to form. Um, but it was on the basis of that and then starting to edit and play with that a little bit, that footage, I thought, oh, I need to get more footage and I need to shoot them in the water and I need to. And then the idea of, of getting these surf legends um, started to appear and started, I was able to take advantage of some people making themselves available to me and they were interesting. So it just, it just, it started kind of organically. And then once I, once you have about a year under your, under your belt of, of time and money and filming, you you really want to make it into something good. I mean, it was like, I had amazing people, right. I had amazing footage, and it was like, let's let's make this into an incredible film. That's great. That's great. And how did you have a chance, and I'm assuming it's just from when you were, like you said, doing all, you know, traveling a little bit, doing the footage with the six guys from New Jersey, and please, you know, let's, let's definitely mention their names and, you know, plug anything you want to about them to... Get them out there, and of course, we're going to mention the legendary surfers too. So, how was sure. it that you started to get the opportunity to, you know, meet some of these surfers like Mike Doyle and Corky Carroll, and you know, these people that have been around, you know, forever? And yeah, so um, when I was in Cabo on, a, on another trip, um, when I was I was there to film, it was the first trip to go there and actually film these guys, the, the New Jersey guys, um, in the water. And um, so I was there with a the cameraman, and uh, Mike Doyle actually lives in Cabo and um, knows, knows Greg Lysenko. Um, and we, he's, not, he's not hard to find when you're there. I mean, he's, he surfs every day, so there's a major break that you go to a lot, and you see Mike. And so it was pretty easy mm-hmm. to be introduced to him. And I just threw it out there. I said, you know, I've got a cameraman. It would be great to interview you. Again, I had no idea what the connection would be, but I just thought maybe we'll take advantage of it. And I had a great interview with him. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing – he's like – all the legends that are in the film, they really, I mean, these surfers, these guys who've been surfing for so long are just, they've got a lot of stories and they've got a lot of passion and they're all rebels and following their own past and not being mm-hmm. normal, you know? And so Mike was a great interview. I loved meeting him. And um, I, I knew I was on to something. And I, I remember sitting with Greg and Chris um, that evening and go, looking at some of the footage with them and they were like, whoa. You know, cause it was a really long interview and, I think they heard stories that they hadn't heard before, and we started thinking, hmm, you know, who else could we get? So, um, so one thing led to another, and uh, Chris Masenko actually knows Corky Carroll, or knows somebody who knows Corky Carroll, and was able to make a phone call. And Corky was very in- into being interviewed, so that that interview came about. And so I flew to Mexico. He lives in Tiwatanejo and met him and stayed at his house for a few days and, and filmed him and his wife wow. and surfed with him, and he's a great guy. Um, so with those two interviews, it just I knew, you know, th- this connection. That start, there, there were connections in the stories 
the, the, to the New Jersey guys as far as the history of surfing and the evolution of surfing and the evolution of the industry, that sort of that part of the story started to become apparent to me. And I thought, let's just keep let's just keep checking this out and see who else we can get. You know, so um, one thing once you start acquiring a few interviews. So when I contacted. Jerry Lopez, you know, he's very good friends with Corky, so he was amenable to talking, you know, just sort of opened the door right. there. So one one thing sort of led to another. And then we went on to get right. Sean Thompson and David David Nueva and Mickey Munoz, um, who's an incredible incredible guy as well. Um and so that the state they, they provided the what ended up as a story, I think they provide the context of what was going on in surfing. At the same time these New Jersey guys started to surf, what was going on in the West Coast and what was starting to happen in the media and in the industry, which is really an interesting story in itself, I mean, how it all evolved. And they, those guys were the ones that made it evolve while these guys in New Jersey were getting going themselves and then creating their own industry here, you know. Definitely, definitely. And... I don't want to give too much away about the film because I want people to, you know, see the film. But, you know, I think you capture it. I, I love the part with the round table. I do. I, I love the way it's shot. I love the lighting that you use. And just, you know, you can see, like you said, I mean, just the intimacy. And that, not in a sexual way, to so to speak, but just the relationship between, you know, the six guys, you know, and, and their right. passion for right. it and just mm-hmm. how they have known each other for so long. And it's it's really cool to, to see them interacting together, sharing the stories. And so I think you did. I mean, the whole film is wonderful, but, it, you know, that really, like you said, kind of takes the film initially so you can see where it's going to be going and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, one thing I really love, uh, we've had a lot of festival screenings and um, it's been that, that in itself has been a wonderful experience. But so from West Coast to East Coast to uh, it, was, it, it, it screened in Australia, it screened in Fargo. Um, but I with the, wow. the, the different imp- the different input I get from different places. It's not just New Jersey people seeing the show. And a lot of comments, and one of my favorite comments I get, and I've gotten it a lot of times, is this isn't really a surf movie. You know, people will, will be kind of surprised, or people who are not into surfing at all who maybe were a little reluctant to see it, you know, just loved mm-hmm. it. And, were like, it's, and they loved the relationships. It was really more, it, it, I mean, like you said, the key is it's, it comes from who these guys are and the relationships with, with each other. And, of course, they surf. So there is a huge surfing component. But that people have said that it's not just a surf movie. Um, I kind of like that when, when people take, have that as a takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and, and you definitely take that away from it. Um, and if you want to just you know, briefly comment a little bit on, you know, each of the guys in the film, Six Surfers, and a little bit about Grogs and how, you know, they kind of put this on the map with Casino Pier being this hot spot and, you know, kind of right. making it sure. difficult for people who weren't part of the area to, you know, get in on that action, <laughs> so to speak. Right, right. right. Well, so um, Greg Masenko and Chris Masenko, they their house was right on Herring Avenue, really close to the pier, and they started surfing really, really young. But they, they, it was their home, and there there weren't many people around back then. So I think that they took mm-hmm. a kind of an ownership of of the pier, and there weren't very many mm-hmm. people surfing. So as surfing grew and more and more people came in, they they were kind of the, the gatekeepers, you know, and and you see a bit in the film there that the you know they could they could hold their own as far as uh, being in control and trying to keep people right. out or really try to keep people behaving and not hurting 
each other. Because surfing, you know, mm-hmm. they weren't surfing. They weren't surfing with leashes back then, and um, waves were big back then. And so they kind of were the the they kind of were the enforcers of of the pier. Um, the other guys in the in the film, um, Kevin Casey is probably one of the best surfers from this whole area. He was pro at, at one point, and um, ask any of the legends and ask any of the guys in the film or even in, of, in the area, and, and everyone has a huge respect for Kevin and his beautiful, beautiful surfing style. He's, he's a really, really good surfer. And, and he, again, he's from here. He grew up on, in Seaside Park. Um, Jim Perpry grew up in Seaside Park. Uh, the Bucky Walters as well, more probably in, I think in Ortley he grew up, but all within you okay. know a couple of miles of the pier, and the pier was the place to surf. So they all met that way, and and you know the relationship wasn't always easy. They were they they have a lot of competition between them, and and did then, and I, I think a lot of that comes out in the film as well. I mean, surfing is a competitive environment, and um, they laugh because they they. They love each other on land, but they can fight each other in the water. You know, <laughs> it's really interesting. Right, right. And where did, real quick, just to make, because I know you're talking about so many different things, and Richard Lutheraner. And Richard Lutheraner, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he sure. actually came from, he didn't grow up here, but he got here when he was really uh, young. I mean, I think he was okay. certainly like early, late, early teens or something. I, mean, I can't really remember, but he, he, I think he grew up in more of a North Jersey town. And then came okay. here and settled here. And again, another really great surfer, great surfboard shaper. He's very well known in the area for the for his surfboards, and um, a major part of the course. He's on the surf teams. You know, there was surf, as you know, there were surf teams back then. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a big Richie game. and Chris and Greg and Kevin were uh, major parts of the of the surf teams. Kevin, uh, excuse me, not Kevin. Jim was a, a lifeguard um, here. Bucky was a lifeguard. They're all watermen from, from right way, way back when. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. No, I, again, it's, you know, I can definitely reflect back and remember working at Grogs and, you know, surfing for the team. And it was, you know, Brave New World and Ocean Hut and Wave Jammer and Grogs. And, you know, it was, it was a really big thing back in the day doing the Eastern Surfing Association competitions and just a lot of fun. Um, and it is a little bit And as you know, Greg, Greg, was was a, Greg was a. Uh, he captured the marketing of, of things and the, the business mm-hmm. end of it really, really well. He was really ingenious, and he was the one who brought the first um, uh, World Pro Tour to Seaside Heights. That's right. And got all these, and like most of the legends that are in the film um, came and surfed here back then. And were and surfed, Sean Thompson surfed the pro contests, and David Nueva. Um, I don't think Corky actually surfed the pro, but he was he's here, he's been here and surfed. They all, they all knew of New Jersey, and they all because of Grogs and some of the other surf shops, but Grogs became one of the most famous. Um, they all were selling their boards, so all the East Coast, right. excuse me, all the West Coast surfers were all involved in shaping, or, or they they were working with Hobie or or some of the big surfboard um, makers, and they would drive up and down the coast to all the, all the surf shops and 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 sell their wares. And um, so Grogs became quite an intersection of not only the latest and greatest equipment, but some of the surf stars of the time. And and he kind of made he made events out of that. You know, he kind of really put it Definitely. in the line. He did. He did. Yeah. I mean, he really did. I mean, and he this store wasn't just you know it ended up branding itself. I mean, he had one in in the Ocean County Mall. He had one up, I think, in Little Silver. He had one in Point Pleasant. So yeah, it was it was expanding. It really was expanding. Yeah. Um, definitely. 
Yeah. So let's do this. Let's take a, a little bit of a break, and we'll listen to uh, Quirky Carol's song, song, The Gate. And um, it's a great definitely song. want to plug. It is a great song, and it, it was a beautiful song to put, you know, in the film and in the credits. It was a great spot for it um, at the end. Do you know much about the, the content of the song or the meaning of it, if you know anything that you want to share about it? About the song? Yeah, if you do. If you don't, that's fine. You know, I never really talked to Corky about it specifically, but for for okay. me, the, when you listen to the lyrics, the gate, staring at the gate, I kind of feel, felt like it, it had, you know, it had meaning to me for what all these guys have got done all their lives. And they kind of had this right. um, this kind of this gate that they had to cross over and, and make their lives their own. I mean, that's just... I actually never articulated that before, but that's kind of what I take away. Sort of, it hits me on a, on a sort of a philosophical note of that's what these guys have dealt with all their lives with with sure. with the with with the waves, with with the lifestyle, um, all that sort of stuff. So that's whether that whether that's what Corky meant by it, I don't know, but it, that's what how it calls out to me. And that's and that's fine because I think you know the song is very much open to interpretation and it could probably apply to people's lives in different ways. So I think that's a I think that's a great right. analogy. Yeah. All okay. Right. So let's do this. I'm going to put you on hold and then when we come back. We'll uh, talk about Corky a little bit, do some plugs for him, and um, get back into uh, more of the interview and and kind of the turn you took with you know the unfortunate um, Hurricane Sandy that happened and and how that impacted yeah. the film and the direction. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. All right? Okay. All right, great. So I'll put you on hold and we'll be back, okay? Okay. All right, everyone. Again, you are listening to Catherine Brabeck from the documentary film, award-winning film, so we have to tell that too, uh, A Life Outside, and great interview with her right now. If for some reason you've tuned in a little late, there will be a podcast that you can download and or stream after it's over for free, so please um, share the link, spread the word about this film. It's amazing. We're going to talk about... She has a screening this weekend, August 9th. It's going to be in Seaside Heights, a perfect place for it. So we'll talk about that, too, um, when we come back. But for now, let's check out Quirky Carol's song, which is titled The Gate. And as we mentioned, the song is in the credits of the film. And um, if you're listening right now, you can go into the chat room and uh, check out the link for the, um, the trailer. So uh, check it out. Here we go, The Gate by Corky Carroll, and we'll be back in a moment.
All right, everyone, welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show. Again, The Gate by Corky Carroll, and I'm going to bring um, Catherine back on the air. We're going to do a nice plug for him and his surf camp to spread the word so people can learn more about what he's doing right now, too. All right, Catherine, welcome back. Great song. I love it. Yeah, I love that song. I love it. It's so calming. It's like you can kind of just feel yourself <laughs> surfing to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can just yeah. feel yourself out in the water. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. great. So, um, yeah, so let's definitely, you know, share a little bit about um, his surf camp and, and let's plug that, his surf adventure. Yeah, so I'm, I, I wish I, I'm sort of encouraging Corky to make, make his music available. So I think I think he could find a good market in that because he's written a lot of songs and recorded, but he is not doing that right now. But what he is doing is um, he's got a beautiful home that he and his wife um, open up um, as a uh, bed and breakfast, surf camp, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, You can go and stay at his house, and uh, he'll take you surfing. He'll teach you if you want coaching. If you don't, he'll just, you know, you can just hang out with him, and they cook great dinners. And um, it's it's really... um, it's a really an experience, and um, I'd love to just like put that out there that you can contact Corky through CorkyCarrollSurfAdventures.com and uh, see what they've got and book a trip, book a surf trip. It's a once in a lifetime kind of thing to go and surf with Corky Carroll, and and the the surf yeah. break that he lives on is incredible, and especially if you're oh, a goofy foot. it's like one of the longest lefts you can ever have. It's just incredible. I'm not a goofy, but um, I'm learning. I am. I'm learning how to turn left. <laughs> you are. Oh, you've got to. Yeah, go. I'm a goofy <laughs> foot. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yep. I've always oh, been goofy great. foot skateboarding, surfing. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yep. <laughs> you gotta go. You gotta go. Yep. <laughs> so he's got a great place. Nice. He's really great care of you, and he makes great corkatitas at yep. sunset. And um, it's just a great time. And um, I'd just love to plug that for him. CorkyCarrollSurfAdventures.com. Cool. And we'll plug it again at the end of the show, too. All right. So, um, yes, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how did you come up with the name for the film? And then we'll start talking about, you know, again, I don't want to give too much away about the film, but share a little bit about, you know, what happened when you were pretty much almost getting to the end of, you know, wrapping things up. And then, unfortunately, Hurricane Sandy uh, right. turned for the worse. Um, but, yeah, share a little bit about how you came up with the with the name for it. The name actually came really easily. I, it just it popped in my head, and I knew that was the name. It wasn't something I was I wasn't groping and trying to think of what the name would be. Um, a life outside. I was dealing with all these guys' different lives, and their the the word outside in surfing has uh, you know a lot of different meanings for me. I mean, just specifically with surfing, there's you know you're either inside or outside the break. And so it had a it had a distinct surfing uh, correlation, but all these guys too, and um, you know, uh, surfers in general. If you're real, the real the real true surfers who make their life around surfing, they really live outside the norm of if you, if you think of the norm as having a nine to five job or any kind of regular job that you can't get away from um you know it, these guys created their lives so that they could be available for the surf and especially on the east coast when there isn't consistent surf the way there might be right. in other areas like california and hawaii um you really have to make sure that you can let go of whatever you need to let go of and be and get in the water because otherwise you're going to miss it and you might miss you might not have anything for weeks so all these guys have created their these off lives whether it's being in business for themselves um uh, just sort of 
not being a part of the, the true norm. Um, and, and so that the name kind of came from that, really, that they created this, their, their lives are outside of the norm. And even and another connotation was from back then, you know, they were surfing. You were, you were really abnormal. You were really looked down upon. Right. They didn't know how to, <laughs> you know, you were kind of like an outlaw, you know. Um, and so they were kind of looked down upon. The police thought they were just long-haired, you know, no, you know, not good do-gooders, you know, and and right. um, so they, they 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 sort of fought like salmon, you know, swimming upstream a little bit. You know, they were on the outside of things. So the the word has many levels of meaning to me, and it just it came to me right away. And the minute it came to me, I knew that was the name. <laughs> so it was, that's great. That, was, that part of that's it was easy for me, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That was the easiest part, probably coming up with the name. What did the guys think of the name? What did you know? What was their impression? How did they react to it? Yeah. You know, every time I would meet one of the legends, I mean, I told, obviously told all the guys um, here in New Jersey, um, everyone's just kind of like, yeah, you know, they just, cool. they got it. it, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Very cool. I remember so, telling Sean yeah, Thompson so, when I interviewed him, he, he, he said, what's the name of your movie? And I, I told him, and he just sort of got really quiet, and he's like, yeah, that's a good name, you know, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So you were about, what, about, you know, two years into, you know, filming and, and gathering all the data and, and, you know, the stuff you wanted to put the film together. And, and tell us a little bit about just kind of the direction that, you know, fortunately in a way for you, because I, I think your film couldn't have not had Sandy in it if it was, you know what I mean, if you were still in the process right. of putting it together versus if you had been done with it. Um, and right. it's unfortunate, too, just because of, you know, just the devastation that it caused for all the people and, and islands and, you know, all that all that stuff. Um, so tell right, us a little right. bit about, you know, where you were at and then how that came along and you, you know, you incorporated it into it. So we were, um, the idea came uh, after interviewing and filming all these legend surfers, um, the idea came, like, how great would it be to get these guys together with the New Jersey guys and have a surf trip? And um, so we had a trip into Mexico um, with a really top-notch, I mean, a really great water cinematographer, a guy named Russell Brownlee, who is just an incredible DP, and it's done, he's well-known in the surf photography world, and got him on board. So we had a, an amazing crew, and we were able to get uh, Corky Carroll and Mickey Munoz and Mike Doyle um, to agree to come and surf with the New Jersey guys. And we had a week in Mexico. And um, it was when you see the film, you'll see a lot of really beautiful surfing footage and beautiful water photography, and that was done during that week in um, late August into early September. Actually, it was September. It was all September of, of 2012. And when I finished that week of filming, I came back to New York, and I pretty much thought I was done. I thought I was done filming. Okay. I knew I might have a few little things to to add in here and there. Maybe once I got editing, I needed to, I thought I might have a couple more interviews to do or something. But I, I was pretty much done. And that was about three weeks before, three, three or four right. weeks before Sandy hit. And um, once it happened, there was just, there was just no, because it so affected everybody in the film. And the film too, not only is it about surfing and these guys, but it's about the place itself. It really is about the history of right. 
Seaside Park and Seaside Heights. And so with a storm of this magnitude and the effect that it had, there was no way I could wrap up a wonderful surf story and, and say, okay, we're done. You know, it just... It right, just, right. And so, so filming went on for about a year beyond that, um, basically to document what was going on with the guys and what was going on with the pier and what was going on with the town itself and how that all evolved. And, you know, I really didn't want this to be a Hurricane Sandy film, but, it, but, it was, mm-hmm. but it, I think it really just sort of is the story of the place and the guys after the storm happened and how it affected them, how it affected surfing, how it affected the place. Um, so it took a, a big turn. Um, I know I've been asked a lot, what, what if Sandy hadn't happened? What would your story be? And I, I, I still had a great story. It was a great The story really sure. isn't sure. Sandy. Um, but it's just a very honest uh, I mean, it was it was capturing what happened after such a devastating um, event. Um, so, so we filmed for about a year past um, past that last shoot in Mexico. And um, in fact, my last shoot was actually uh, August of last year, which so was about a year ago. Um, was the last filming day in Seaside. And um, okay. diving into the edit to kind of craft craft what this came out to be. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing, and I think, and I don't want to give too much away, but I I think people will be able to also relate to, like when Sandy came along and just the devastation it caused for you know all the guys and everyone on the island and the island itself. It it sends another very deeper message too, and in, in terms of you know just how we treat nature, how we treat each other, and I think it's a really interesting. And I don't want to you know give away who said what, yeah. but I think when people see the film. You, you get some chills when, when you really, you know, see the mm. symbolism of it and and the impact that it has on just society as a whole, too. So I think that was really, really cool and deep. Yeah. Way, you know, early on that. in filming, um, there's a lot of shots that you may remember um, way before Sandy happened. It was like one of I shot at the pier a couple of, several times during the course of filming and um, shot underneath the pier. And, and I remember the, one mm-hmm. of the first shoots at the pier, think, really being underneath the pier and close to those mossy logs that hold the pier up. And, <laughs> right. And, and, I was, and it was this one day, it was this really beautiful, dramatic, foggy lighting. And it was just, it just and I, I remember thinking very clearly how the pier, I wanted the pier itself to be a character in the film. And it really is because of, you know, it was the major surf break on the East Coast where these guys grew up. And and so to, over the course of filming and, and the story, to have that, that place destroyed um, was, I don't know, it had a major impact on me and certainly a major impact mm-hmm. on the place and, and surfing in general. But and you can look at surfing kind of trivially, but it's really, it was the, their identity of these guys growing up at this place. I mean, it really, it was, it was huge. So to see it so destroy that roller coaster in the water, um, it's just, I know. it's just chilling. It's a chilling feeling. It is. It is. It's erasing a time. It's erasing a, um, a time, and these guys are all so bonded to this place, and that's a, another, I think, a very symbolic part of the story for me is how they are, they are so from this place, you know, and this place mm-hmm. is so changing. It's, it has been changing even more than Sandy. It's been changing since before then, but, but you know, what is it, what is it like to be from a very small town that's grown so large and and is so affected now by environment and and storms and and all that? So. 
that's a big part of the story. You're right. You're definitely, and you're right. It has, you know, since Sandy, it, it has been very different. I mean, you know, I go down there every weekend, and it's not the same that it used to be. I mean, you see parking spots in Seaside Park. You don't, you don't usually see that. You know, in, in the middle of August on like a Saturday, you don't see that. Yeah. You know, what I mean, you're trying to find a parking spot, you don't see in South Seaside Park. Parking spots yeah. open, and it's just, yeah, it's it's just really it has a very eerie feeling it's sad it's just you know like you're saying you do notice yeah. the changes unfortunately yeah hopefully it'll, um, it'll, it'll heal and become something else yeah. maybe maybe there are lessons learned and um you know i think we all need to realize that climate is changing and we all have a uh, have a place in 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 changing that you know and, and making things better and um, I think right. the island needs to to reassess some things, and we all need to. We all need to start right. treating this this planet of ours, you know, with love and care. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, so let's um, you know, plug some other stuff in terms of what are some of the places that I know you the film's got some awards and nominations. You know, please share some of those. Yeah, that you guys have it's- worked so hard to earn. Yeah, it's um the the whole film festival circuit. It's a very new thing for me, as you know. This is my my debut feature film, so um it was a whole new yeah. whole new thing to to learn about. So you start submitting, and you you know you don't know who's going to ask you and who's not. But um I was totally thrilled uh, that the Santa Barbara Film Festival um, asked us to uh, be have have our world premiere there. I mean that's a really really big wow. festival, very very big. So it was like a complete thrill and we had the got all the guys out there with me and we had the most awesome ridiculously funny amazing uh red carpet experience and when i say funny it's just that i am so behind what the happened? scenes and so well we it, i've never been on a red carpet and it was a real red carpet right. i mean kate blanchett kate blanchett <laughs> was like right behind me you know oh and, my gosh uh, it's it just and i i so like i don't ask for the limelight and, and the Photographer, right. but there was like the, it's, it's that wall of paparazzi, and it was just I just thought it was hysterical. It was just so much fun. It was like wow, look 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 at how far we've come with this. You know, it was really That's we just amazing. all really really enjoyed it. It was um, we we were best surf nominee, uh, surf film nominee at the Byron Bay Festival in Australia, and at the okay. Fargo Film Festival, the New Jersey Film Festival, um, at the Lighthouse. Uh, festival in Long Beach Island uh, we won the Best Cinematography Award and um, what else have we done So we're, um, Saltwater Film Festival we had a huge screening in Manasquan uh, just about a month ago uh, sold out the 500 and some theater in uh, at the Algonquin Theater there so we're just oh getting great response we're, we're amazing. The, the audiences are filling up and the, the Q&A is after people stay and ask us about the questions and um, it's just wonderful to feel that something you've done connects with a larger audience. It's it's my first time doing something like this, and it's a really gratifying feeling to to feel people connect, and that you've kind of created a story that that you know makes people feel something. You know, it's just a really wonderful feeling. Yeah. No. Congratulations with all the success for you guys, and you know the legends and the six guys in the film. I mean, it's it's uh, well deserved. Everything you guys have done with it. Thank really, you. Really Thank great. You. Um, we do have a couple of distribution so, offers. We, it's not it's not etched in oh, stone yet, but it it should still it should be out fairly soon um, on all the digital platforms, Netflix and iTunes and all that. And um, uh, our Facebook page is the best way to keep up on things. Um, I obviously, announce everything that, that's happening. So if you go to a life outside on Facebook, 
And um, like us, you'll keep up to date on, on screenings and uh, when it's available to purchase. That's great. That's great. And please plug this weekend and as well as any other, you know, screenings that you have coming up for people, you know, please share that information too. Yes. Um, so I'm so excited about this weekend. Saturday, um, August 9th, 8.30 at Carteret Avenue in Seaside Heights, which is really close to the Casino Pier. Uh, we're doing an outdoor screening on the beach. It's free of charge. Anybody can come. Just bring your beach chair. And um, it's it's just such a, a, an appropriate place. I just feel so excited mm-hmm. to have it shown kind of at the heart of what the film is about. It's being shown right at that place. So I'm um, very, very excited about that, and I hope I have a pretty good turnout. I'm just going to pray that the weather is good and uh, would love to have anybody anybody and everybody come. Yeah, no, I'm sure you're going to have an amazing turnout. And like you said, it's it's very apropos, so to speak, for uh, the place that you're going to have it this weekend. And, I mean, I already saw, you know, just on your Facebook page, Life Outside, I mean, there was tons of likes and comments. And, yeah, I'm sure you're yeah. going to have a, a great turnout. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. We, um, I don't have um, specific dates for other screenings yet. There looks like there's one that will be coming up in Asbury Park at the Paramount Theater mm-hmm. in September. Um, we haven't. We're just working out the details on that. Um, I think it'll be during the Belmar Pro Surf Weekend, so um, an appropriate place and time for it to be shown. Cool. And um, other festivals will be coming up, and I'll just kind of keep everybody notified uh, via the Facebook page. Yeah, no, that's but what, great. What that's we're really great. working on is to get the distribution out there with the um, Netflix and iTunes and, and all that. So that's looks like we'll lock that down for, fairly soon in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Well, congratulations with that, too. That's that's an amazing accomplishment, too, to get it on all those major digital sites so that, uh, so that people can have access to it that way, too. Yeah, every day I get letters and emails and posts on Facebook of how can I buy it, where can I see it. And so it's very nice to be able to uh, say, here's how you do it. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, congratulations, Catherine, and to you and all the guys and the legends. I mean, it's just a phenomenal film, and you you did an amazing job with it. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Definitely. So, um, yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. Anything for, I know you're still very wrapped up in, you know, the film right now and getting it out there, but, you know, in the future, a year from now, two years from now, any other plans or ideas that you want to share in terms of, you know, the direction this might go in or if you have any other ideas for films? I I, I am so anxious to get going on another film. I can't tell you. I, I Not only have I learned <laughs> so much, but I, I loved the whole experience of creating this that, um, yes, I, I'm definitely getting going on another one. It's a little too early to talk about it. It's I'm still kind of you okay. know, researching, um, but... Um, but I'm very excited about getting started on something, and I, I'll, I'll keep you posted as it as it develops. Definitely, and you're always welcome back on when you put your next film out there to come back on the show and uh, promote that, and I look forward to seeing it. Great, great. I'll definitely do that. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was it a was great interview. It was a pleasure having you on and, and promoting the film for you and everyone that was involved in it. Thank you, Kara. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to uh, seeing you in the water someday soon. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely talk. We'll have to try to get out there someday. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll be fun. Yeah, good. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Absolutely. Keep in touch and, and much success to you in the film. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Okay. Take care, Catherine. Bye. 
All right, everyone, again, Catherine Brayback with her film, A Life Outside. So, again, you can uh, check it out. It's on a, a Vimeo page on the Internet. So if you just type it in, you can check out the trailer and get a sneak peek of what it's about. As she mentioned, she will also be this weekend. They will be in uh, Seaside Heights at Carteret Avenue starting at 8.30 p.m. So definitely come out and uh, see a screening of it. As she said, it's open to everyone in the public. It's for free, so it'll be an awesome event. Um, also, again, don't forget Quirky Carol. Check out Quirky Carol Surf Adventure. And as she mentioned, Quirky Carol Surf Adventures, sorry, that's with an S.com, you can uh, get a surfing experience like no other by going to his house, a bed and breakfast, and surfing with the legend himself. So definitely check that out. We played an awesome song, The Gate, by him during the interview, and um, follow Lake Outside on Facebook. Thank you so much for tuning in again tonight. I appreciate the support. A podcast will be available to download or stream after the show is over. Please follow me on Facebook at Carrie Edelman. I'm sorry, on Twitter. It's been a long day. Follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. I do a lot of posts just for upcoming events with the radio show and uh, things that are going on with that. Also, um, become a fan. Uh, Give it a like on Facebook, The Carrie Edelman Show. I have a list of guests. I'm always promoting the upcoming um, interviews that I am doing. And uh, to keep in touch with me personally, you can befriend me on Facebook. Just send me a request, and I'd love to keep in touch with people that way, too. So thank you so much. I want to wish everyone a good night and have a great week. We have some amazing upcoming interviews, too. I'm going to be having the hard rock band Linum coming on uh, soon. We're also going to have Life on Planet 9, if people are fans of Low Pro, uh, that's going to be Pete Murray. It's his side project. That's going to come on. They're going to be releasing a new album in August. Really cool. Kind of acoustic, electronic rock music, but it's it's really cool original stuff. And um, outside of that, I'm in the works of booking a ton of other interviews, too. So thanks again, everyone, and have a great night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.